Unless you've made a serious mistake, you are currently listening to a free excerpt of the committee program with me, Arun Chaudhry. Our show contains lots more global politics, and you can become a member at fans.fm slash committee to receive our full YouTube show, audio, plus other exclusive content. That's fans.fm slash committee. And be sure to check out our YouTube show every Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern on the Namiki Konst YouTube channel. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome back to the committee program. I am your host, Arun Chaudhary, and this is Smart Club. Today, we are going to talk about Kosovo, specifically the corona coup and how the young nation has dealt with the virus. It's a place we've talked about in different contexts before, uh, but we're really going to drill in deep today. Although America and Kosovo were close allies and the U.S. played a pivotal role in Kosovo independence from Serbia, many in the U.S. will not be familiar with the current politics of Kosovo and frankly were a bit baffled by the unsteady press conference in which Richard Grinnell, Donald Trump's main man in Middle Europe, declared a breakthrough peace treaty between Serbia and Kosovo and then somehow a lake was named after Donald Trump. It really was all a mess that Zizek called the Corona Coup. And of course, how Europe's youngest nation has dealt with a pandemic has been a core column of the story. With us to discuss COVID, the Corona coup, and Kosovo are Orgeso Rifi, former committee employee. Uh, and I should say, but currently she is communications, uh, working communications at the Health Ministry of Kosovo, and Arbor Zami, who is an activist, campaigner, and a communicator for the Vet Vendosha movement. I should say that all three of us have worked together very closely on uh, Vet Vendosha campaigns, and so we're definitely coming at this with a point of view, which I think is clear, and yet we will still be extremely informative and helpful. Okay. So, Arbor, if I can start with you, and if I can ask you to set the stage for folks, the party that you and I both support came to power in an election we both worked in. Uh, what was the opening in Kosovo politics that made Vet Vendosia appealing enough to win a vote? You know, this was a huge expansion for them from being a, a leftist, progressive kind of movement into actually being part of the coalition for power. Just, you can even take us through the last sort of decade as quickly as you can. Hello, Arun, and uh, thank you for this invitation in your show. And hello, Orgesa, too. It's nice to see you. And uh, I will shortly go back through some years, because Kosovo has a, a tragic history, which is very recent, actually. Uh, your public, your viewers, they probably come from, from the States, and uh, they don't know much about Kosovo. Kosovo is one of uh, the countries of the world with the most... Uh, Pillow American uh, tendency in the population, in the public opinion, and people need to know why. Uh, everybody knows that uh, the U.S. Uh, led the coalition of countries and the NATO into the liberation of Kosovo in the war of '99. But what was going on back then? Very shortly, I will tell that uh, some some numbers about that conflict. So there was a general offensive uh, by Serbia which colonized Kosovo for, let's say, 90 years or something. And in this general offensive in the years 98 and 99, there were more than 1 million people from Kosovo, Albanians from Kosovo, which uh, were uh, expulsed from their country. So basically there was uh, ethnic cleansing. And there is a documented 
sexual assault of over 20,000 women uh, from military police and paramilitary troops from Serbia. And uh, there was the burning of over 130,000 homes of Albanian families, the killing of more than 12,000 civilians, and the disappearance of many people, uh, of which uh, almost uh, 1,600 are, are still missing. So, in the year 99, as I said, a coalition of countries led by the states uh, intervened to free Kosovo. And then this is the main reason why uh, everybody here is so much pro-America. And uh, it's our own main ally in the world politics. Of, co of course, we know that uh, Kosovo is a, is a very tiny country and a little country, but still we see America, which is the most powerful country of the world, let's say we see it as uh, our best friend. They helped us survive. They, have, they helped us uh, stop an actual ethnic cleansing policy that was going on. When it comes to uh, the economic situation, I will just give some brief numbers for people to understand what's the situation in Kosovo, because uh, when we speak about the Balkans, uh, in, in, it's a region full of economic hardship and we all know about the global crisis uh, of the economy that started in 2008 is not going back. But still Kosovo is one of the most underdeveloped places in the Balkans, one of the most underdeveloped countries in Europe. So the medium wage in Kosovo is about $350. But the unemployment is uh, really high. We, we are talking about an unemployment which is higher in real numbers, higher than 45%. Women unemployment, real unemployment, is higher than 80%. And youth unemployment is higher than 65%. So basically, this is the situation where our movement started to work. Uh, the movement was... Uh, founded in 2005 from around 70 activists coming from different backgrounds. Some of them were uh, environmental activists or climate activists, as someone would call them today. Some of them was, were working rights activists. Some of them were anti-colonial or decolonial activists and so on. So they came together to, to start Vedvanduzi in, in 2005. We were, back then, we were a uh, movement a non-governmental movement which was mainly protesting in the streets. We were not even thinking on going into parliamentary politics. We started the first step in that direction. In that direction in 2010 is the first time that the Dendusia participated as a movement in, uh, in, in the parliamentary elections. And uh, I remember I was back then working for the Dendusia, I still am, I am a member of the presidency. Uh, so in 2010, we got around 12% of the vote, and that's our start. In 2021, which is 11 years later, we won a decisive uh, victory of more than 50% of the voters' uh, support. Of course, uh, it's 11 years full of troubles for the movement and a lot of funny moments too, but there were uh, also a lot of risks that we ran. Uh, we had to fight with local 
corrupted politicians, but sometimes we also had to struggle against international politicians who were uh, also corrupt or willing to work with local corrupt politicians. And uh, in 2019 was our first victory. Uh, Arun, you were part of that uh, electoral campaign, so we worked together there. In 2019, we received uh, almost 30% of the vote. We were the biggest parliamentarian party in Kosovo. It was very difficult for us to form a movement. We had to uh, join forces with LDK, which is a center-rightist uh, party. But we uh, managed to keep our program, which is... Uh, I don't know if people see, probably they don't, in my background, the three words is uh, equality, justice and development. So we are a, a social democratic party and we are working for these three goals to, to start happening in Kosovo. Now we have our government, we, do, we didn't need to go into an uh, alliance uh, mode in the elections of this year. But that happened only after we managed to navigate through a crisis in 2020. We will probably talk about that uh, later when we go into the details of the Trump government intervention in Kosovo. Yeah, which we will get to. Um, but so, you know, so Orgesa, you know, there's this kind of big generational changeover in government. And even with a coalition with the center right, it's kind of this changing of the guard, right, from the traditional Kosovo parties to something new and social democratic and progressive looking at the same time. In the other corner, we see a pandemic just beginning to enter into people's consciousness. Even as this coalition is forming, uh, it's just sort of starting in Milan and Bergamo. And it hasn't even entered Kosovo yet, but people are talking about it as the government's taking power. So it really is fresh. What, how was that as an experience for the country and also for, you know, for the governing party? Thank you the for the invitation, Aaron. It's a pleasure to speak with you guys again. Um, well, just to mention that in the first government, Kurti government, uh, I wasn't a part of it. So I was looking at it as a citizen. And um, when the first cases started to appear in Kosovo, I felt a bit insecure. But when I saw the minister and the prime minister and the new government, I, I felt way more um, comfortable. And um, the situation that was uh, going on after two and three cases in Kosovo, finally, because we were waiting uh, for the new cases to show up since everywhere in the world infections were happening. So um, after, I think, two months, uh, we hear about a coup and everybody gets frustrated and very, very scary because... Um, the pandemic has been hitting us very hard um, economically, psychologically, and in every aspect. So the coup was, um, in my opinion, very, um, except frustrating, but very uh, um, nasty in a way. And that's why in the 14th of February 2021, we won again. Um, so as a result... 
I mean, but I think playing politics in a pandemic really, you know, is sort of like you're saying as a, as a regular person trying to live your life is super upsetting. Um, but let's unpack for people who don't know much about uh, what the coup was, uh, and, you know, and Trump's government. We should we should dig into that. I, I, I do think so. I mean, as as these politics was happening and I'll, I'll open it up to either of you who want to talk about it, though, like. Were cases under control? Was it spiraling? Like, what were some of the government measures that were in place versus the neighbor states, if you can remember? I can explain the, the cases, but the political side, Oliver, is the most informed. Yeah, 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 yeah. We can, we can do a one-two. Okay, one uh, the cases in Kosovo in the beginning were uh, a bit more in control. And right after the new uh, cases were exposed in Kosovo, we faced lockdown and uh, new measures. Pretty aggressive. Pretty measures. aggressive. Um, but the measures were very creative. We would go out for 90 minutes a day, and we weren't allowed to go anywhere else but to a pharmacy or get some food or something like that. But the stress level was kind of balanced before the coup came and happened. So, I mean, we're referring to a procedural coup, which is triggered by a vote of no confidence. Uh, Arbor, can you unpack sort of what led uh, to that vote? Obviously, you do have a fragile coalition. You know, it's only a one vote, uh, a one vote majority in parliament. Uh, what do people mean when they say coup? Well, it happened. We, we started uh, the, the government in 2020 after we managed to conclude an agreement with LDK, we started in uh, March 25th of last year. And uh, right away we had to deal with a kind of an arm twist, if I can use this word, from uh, the Trump representative in, uh, in the Balkans in the uh, negotiations yeah. Yeah, yeah. between Folks will be familiar Sova, with him. Richard Grenell. And uh, yeah, and uh, we 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 faced a lot of pressure, which was very unfair to us because uh, the logics of that pressure was uh, okay. Now you have to forget about your past, of all those things that I said, all those things that I mentioned, killed people, raped women, which are still living into hardship, uh, houses burned hundreds of thousands of properties destroyed. And you have to forget about this, which happened only 20 years ago. And you have to start making trade and commerce with a country that would still repeat it if it had the chance. With a country that does not want to recognize Kosovo. In 2007, the ICJ, the International Court of Justice, uh, said that uh, Kosovo is right to declare independence. So we even have international institutions recognizing Kosovo's right. In 2008, Kosovo declared independence. Today, Kosovo is recognized for, for, from more than uh, 117 states of the UN, which are also the democratic states of the world, the, the more democratic states of the world, let's say. And still we got that pressure 
to start making trade with a country that is and, and it seemed like a very it's very ideologically i think aligned with kind of with the, the right wing of the us right this was a sort of a, a, a free trade situation rather than the word i believe yeah, the prime minister kept using was they wanted a reciprocal agreement and this was the sticking point right what what would happen if we would force victims to start trading or making business with the perpetrators of violence in other circumstances. Because we know that uh, recognizing victimhood is, is a process, is the start of a process to bring justice. But what if we force victims to say, okay, forget about the rape that happened. Now you have to start business as usual with the rapist. This is something that even emotionally cannot be accepted. But, of course, we couldn't accept it also because it would threaten our sovereignty as a country, our economy, and our welfare. Uh, we had Serbia, and we still have it, which uh, time after time raises these non-tariff barriers towards products and uh, commerce from, coming from Kosovo. And we wanted to make some pressure on Serbia. We also wanted to raise the international awareness of what is going on so that they could see that uh, this relation is not fair. We want to bring fairness into the Serbia-Kosovo relationship. We want to achieve recognition. This is also something that the actual president of uh, the US, Joe Biden, said. He said that we should work for mutual recognition between uh, Serbia and Kosovo. Of course, when we talk about U.S. presidents, we are very much aware that presidents coming from the Republican Party, as well as presidents coming from the Democratic Party, have helped Kosovo. But this was not the case with the Grenell process and uh, with the, the, the Trump presidency. They basically started working with a mentality which is very much uh, Huntingtonian, in a sense, but extremely Huntingtonian. So there is this history of Albanians being a majority Muslim country, and uh, they started uh, saying that Albanians are an Arab country. But this is this yeah. is this is a, a, a mishmash yeah, yeah. uh, yeah, history. Yeah. This is this could not even be taken seriously. So we we had this kind of things. We started to to be worried about this. And then they started working with corrupt politicians from the old parties in Kosovo. So they at one moment achieved some kind of majority with the opposition by breaking the governing coalition with LDK. And uh, then they, uh, let's say, set up a coup. This is what happened. It was the middle of the pandemics. And we were working very well. We managed to have, in the beginning of May, zero cases. I'm talking about 2020. It was hell everywhere, in the Balkans and in Europe. We managed to have zero cases, but still they didn't care about this. They just uh, wanted us uh, down. Still, uh, what we uh, had to do uh, at that moment, we were facing a tough choice. If we would... Uh, start a demonstration, then it would even more put the lives of the people in risk at the time of the pandemic. 
So we decided to, to wait and see what happens. We knew that there would be elections in America in autumn. And uh, of course, we, it was very clear for us which of the two candidates we should support. Also because of ideological, uh, let's say, uh, uh, convictions, because we are a social democratic party. So we, we gave this message to the Albanian Americans. For patriotic reasons, they should support Joe Biden after what Trump did uh, with Grenell in the uh, year 2020 to Kosovo. Yeah, no, and, and, and sort of even the most embarrassing kind of asterisk on this is the, the lake name uh, for Trump that sort of, you know, happened as some sort of homage. Um, but Orgesa, what can you tell me? Yeah. Yeah, no, really bad, right? Like yeah, even, just, even for everything else that's like particularly just like, well. Um, what can you tell us about then uh, what happened in terms of corona policy and corona results during the pandemic with the new LGK-led government, uh, the Hoti-led government? We started to demonstrate from our balconies with pots and pans. We put some flags naming Socially distanced. We yes, want new good. elections and we do not want this uh, new government that um, doesn't care about the citizens' uh, public health. And um, as expected, uh, this governance uh, relaxed the, the measures and um, the number of cases were rising day after day. Um, the curfew was, you know, shrinking from time to time, and uh, but as as citizens, we we would still be hoping if whether they are, are working on uh, new uh, contracts with uh, f companies producing uh, vaccines, but that didn't happen either. Um, so we just the only thing we ever experienced as citizens during those days of lockdown and um, the pandemic without any restriction, actually, um, is the, the fact that um, we uh, we took some sort of, how, how do we say, some taxes of 10% from the Ministry, Ministry of Finance, and that was some sort yeah. of uh, like, uh, like a reason that they're working, but um, in the other side, we weren't feeling secure at all because uh, we knew that the vaccines are not in their plan at, at all. Let me ask you that, why do you think the government was um, relaxing some of these restrictive measures? Is it sort of a, just a popularity play? Um, it was, I mean, was there a segment of the population who was excited yes, about this? Yes, because during, uh, when, when they came in power, in office, sorry, um, it was during summer, and diaspora was uh, was visiting as always Kosovo, so they would come from countries that were, you know, developing the British new variant of COVID, and um, economically would it would help Kosovo, but not in a health way, in our public health. So that's why they were relaxing the measures. But at the end of the day, um, even though we had a curfew from 10 to 5, these people weren't respecting it. And the inspectors weren't that um, strict with the, with the orders. And apparently everybody just went with their lives as if there was no pandemic because the government itself wouldn't give you that message.
And also maybe there was like tour- tourism uh, folks uh, or hospitality folks probably were behind some pushing mm-hmm. yes, yes. So it, as it we've was seen all, all the Europe. time with them. So we, you would have clubs, uh, open air clubs, but um, we, I mean, Kosovo is a tiny country in, in terms of comparing it with uh, um, United States. So we barely, we know each other. We know who, which business is linked with LDK or AK or PDK. So we would uh, see how their uh, businesses would be um, more active because of the relaxed measures. So uh, it wasn't safe at all, but um, yeah. And cases did it, it, go they up. did go up for for example in November if I if I can recall we almost had 2,000 active cases not active cases new cases because they differ and um, 90 people lost their lives so that's when um, we saw that we either have to uh, save ourselves because your government doesn't really pay attention to that. Um, Arbor, can I ask you a little bit uh, about, again, in the region, sort of, uh, Serbia has been sur- playing a kind of very high-level game of vaccine diplomacy, right? They got some early from China and from Russia, and we saw people in the region even traveling to Serbia as kind of exercising soft power. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that for the viewers and also how Kosovo did or did not play into some of that because of the backdrop you've already given us? Uh, Serbia started early vaccination in December. It was uh, one of the first countries in, in the Balkans, it was the first country, but it was also one of the first countries in Europe to start vaccination. Of mm-hmm. course, uh, vaccination is good and everybody wants this and we promote vaccination a lot. But the thing is that uh, the previous government, the LDK government, as Orgesa might already have mentioned it, they didn't really have a plan on anything, but not even on on vaccination or regarding the the pandemics. So they didn't even uh, start negotiations for a contract. We didn't find any contract uh, already done from the previous government or any negotiation in process. So we started from the very beginning when we took the, the government in February. So Kosovo was a bit lagged behind. Also we have to, to keep in mind that Kosovo decided to uh, apply and stick to the regulations of the uh, European uh, health authorities and to not import vaccines which were not recognized by European health, EU health authorities, even though we are not part of the EU, but we want to be part of the EU. So we want to follow those standards. So we decided not to accept uh, vaccines coming from uh, China or Russia, because at the time they were not licensed and accepted from the European institutions. Serbia did that and it managed to uh, have a very high uh, vaccination uh, percentage. But then, apparently, there were some uh, yeah. vaccinations Sinovac, yeah. with the vaccination. The Sinovac, it, it, didn't, it, it didn't come up as very efficient. Even Chinese authorities accepted that it was not very efficient. 
So even in Serbia, we had, unfortunately, for that people there, we had a surge on cases, even mm -hmm. though they were pretty much uh, a big percentage was, was vaccinated. When it comes to Kosovo, we worked a lot, and now we have uh, contracts with Pfizer and AstraZeneca. We also were helped for, from many partner countries in, the, in Europe, but also from America. And uh, now we, we start mass vaccination and we aim to have more than 60% of the population vaccinated within this year. For the moment, right now, we, we, we are having a good uh, uh, result in this process. When it comes to diplomacy, we uh, decided not to put uh, into a jeopardy, you know, the, 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 let's say, the geopolitical project to which Kosovo belongs to, which is that of the Western democracies. We have right now in the Balkans some initiatives to bring here uh, mm -hmm. Putin's Eurasian uh, project, you know, Euro-Asia, as they call it, Eurasia project. We don't accept that because we believe it threatens us, not only in a strict... Uh, a matter of state uh, sense or geopolitical sense, but also it, it threatens our our lives as human beings. We had previous experience of that kind of policy coming from Moscow or from Belgrade, which is uh, echoing uh, their, let's say, expansive colonialist projects from the 20th century. So we are not talking here about history which is uh, very far in the past, but it's the 20th century. And we don't want that repeated. So we didn't want to jeopardize uh, our uh, geopolitical project. We, we want to be attached to the European, Western European countries and uh, to NATO and to the US. So this some of these ambitious goals that Arbor mentioned, Orgesa, how now you're no longer an observer, you are in the government. So I can even ask you in your official capacity, uh, how are you doing with those goals and what, you know, what did you inherit coming into this position and what are the main obstacles? All of those things at once. I'll remind you of any okay. of them. Don't worry. <laughs> I'll start with the inheritance because that's the most important part that we have to mention. So when we came in, in the office, we basically found only a USB and a few documents as if uh, we were changing not governments but something less. Apartments. Apartments, exactly. Yeah. Um, and um, we saw that even by that time when the whole world was creating commissions to create vaccination plan and um, all these... Uh, conditions with the vaccination, uh, with the vaccine producers, uh, the LDK government didn't do anything up until uh, the last uh, part of the, um, um, sorry, December. In the last week of December, they created the commission uh, who was a part of um, some professionals and uh, they created this vaccination plan, which is uh, more or less... Um, copy past and um, anything so 
nothing happened to be honest and when uh, we came in office um we had to do everything from scratch um the commission of the vaccination the plan and how do we get the Pfizer uh, contract signed but as as um, as we were continuing to work and doing a great job because we finally um, signed the contract with 1.2 million vaccines in May. Um, some some journalists leaked a document uh, which basically almost uh, failed our um, contract with the Pfizer uh, company. Um, as a result, we had a conference and the minister called out the police, the police sorry, to uh, interview how did these journalists get to this very, very fragile document. Um, and so the opposition would always use this, this, uh, this case to attack our minister as if he doesn't want to sign the contract. Mm -hmm. And um, in my opinion, as as a part of this government, but at the same time as an observer, because you still live here and you want to see new things and good things happening to public health, I honestly still do not understand how irrational they are being as an opposition because they're still attacking our minister as if he didn't want to sign a contract that would first of all gain us more votes, <laughs> and of course that would uh, that would be something better for us. And second, um, it would put our lives in danger if something else would have have been leaked from that contract. So after that scandal, uh, we signed the contract. Everybody's happy, and in fifteenth on fifteenth of uh, June, we started mass vaccination. And we're planning to mm -hmm. vaccinate uh, 20,000 people uh, all around Kosovo, our country. And um, the procedure is going okay. It can be even better because uh, we're facing now with misinformation. And this is what yeah. I wanted to ask you about. Yeah, like, you know. Set that okay. up for us. So as, as, as in everywhere in the world, misinformation are present in, in Kosovo as well. Um, it's, um, it's quite a challenge for every leader, leader of, in the world to deal with this. So that's why our government is not, uh, you know, talking only about va vaccines by the minister's side, but also our prime minister is talking about vaccines all the time and the president since... Um, we have to get vaccinated uh, since de Delta is coming and we're except expecting in September that the cases might rise as well because it's happening everywhere in the world and we want to prevent that from happening. So it's not only a promise from our government, from our government but it's also a promise to public health and we need to stick to that plan and we're doing fine. But yet again, um, the misinformation is expanding like like Delta. But um, at the same time, the reli religious leaders are very cooperative with us. And um, also private businesses are promoting. That so civic society is being the real yes. kind of. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, our last question goes to Arbor. Can you put this sort of uh, misinformation in an even more context? That you, I mean, what do you see politically happening? Who are the actors? Are there people deliberately uh, stoking some of this? And who are they? Or is it more just a general churn that is the internet? Because you do have a very young, very online population in Kosovo. I think people should understand. Yeah, 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 it's true. There is also something global going on. Uh, we see people very angry after four decades of neoliberalism or the dominance of finance capitalism. So we should also understand, uh, let's say, the, the pain that workers who are now unemployed are going through because uh, they are unemployed because the factory closed and they relocated to, I don't know, another country where they can exploit workers with a cheaper wage. We should understand this process. But some uh, people, some politicians are working to make us believe that there are only two alternatives. One is neoliberalism, finance capitalism, the, the moving of the capital without restrictions and responsibilities and so on. And the other one is ultra-conservative, Putin-style authoritarianism. Some kind of mix, actually, between Putin and Berlusconi. You know, kind of a, a Stalin clown, or something like this. And uh, we, we shouldn't accept this uh, binary uh, uh, alternative. No, we, we, should, we should find what's our interest and where we should move uh, forward to. And I believe that we should understand that the, the people struggle for better health care, for better education in our country, for more uh, work alternatives there, for uh, fair trade, for a capitalism which is also responsible of uh, the climate, of uh, the society and so on. We should start from, from this people's uh, struggles and wishes when we build our policies. What's going on right now in the Balkans? We have uh, the Serbian president in the Western Balkans. I'm, I'm confined to these six Western Balkan countries which are still not part of, of the EU. The strongest of these six Western Balkan countries by far is Serbia. And we have the Serbian president, which was a minister of the government of Slobodan Milosevic in 99, the genocidal Slobodan Milosevic, which was the perpetrator of crimes in Bosnia, in Croatia, and elsewhere, but also here in Kosovo, terrible crimes. And Vucic was his minister of information, of media, if I can put it so, of communication. He was a minister in the government. Now we have Vucic, which basically managed to uh, erase, to, to swipe off all of his opposition, and now he controls with more than 80% the parliament of Serbia, with his allies. And we have this initiative, because Vucic does not uh, accept any possibility for Serbia to join the NATO, so he's not even thinking about transatlantic or North Atlantic uh, security and integration. But he wants Serbia to be a partner of Russia and of the Eurasian project of Putin. And Vucic works in the Balkans closely with Edirama, which is another authoritarian 
politician of Albania, uh, Prime Minister of Albania, which managed to govern without any opposition in the local government, but also in the central government, for more than three years. And uh, time after time, he organizes elections which are full of uh, problems, but he manages to keep the power also because of the opposition parties in Albania suffer from uh, chronic uh, corruption. So now we have Vucic and the Rama working together to threaten the EU to accept Serbia and Albania uh, because, of course, they don't want to work to raise the standards of the judiciary or of the economy, of the welfare of their people, but they want to gain EU integration by threats. So they work together to threaten the EU, but they also threaten uh, other countries like Kosovo or Bosnia or Montenegro, which are right to be afraid of this initiative. Uh, we have a lot of uh, so-called uh, new media. They use a lot of social networking platforms and they build the so-called portals in the internet, uh, which feed the population with fake news, with, uh, uh, I don't know, scandalous uh, titles and so on. And their aim, their effect, actually, is to, to numb the people's sensitivities, because it's the only way for them to uh, get a pass through all that, that corruption that is around them. So, in order for them not to have any reaction from the society, they build this numbness. They use it to build a numbness, this kind of communication with a lot of fake news, a lot of scandal, a lot of uh, stories which would sound incredible, trashy and cheesy in the same way and the same moment. So, But they, they do this a lot. There are like tons of titles and stories per day coming out of this kind of media. And I think that the progressive, uh, progressivist politics would also start a discussion about how media and the new media and the new platforms should be regulated because it's a little bit like a far west and uh, the, the biggest victim in this case is the unprotected and unorganized private member of the public, the citizen. So we should start discussing about this. Of course I am anti-censorship and I am for democracy in communication. But here we are not talking about freedom of speech for the individual. We are talking about freedom of speech for those who can allow uh, luxurious uh, uh, expenditure in buying these ads and uh, using these mechanisms to build any kind of... That's a, that's a really good point, and I think a, a lot of it is the fact that we are giving a company or a few companies the kind of right to say what is true and what isn't true. We need regulation even to sort of begin to take this control back, let alone make sure those platforms aren't used for, ne ne for nefarious purposes. And I also agree that one of the most effective things is just throwing so much information someplace. It's the, uh, someone calls it the narcotic function of information. Like when you just get so much information and you shut down. They do this in Texas. You have a million elections. 
Uh, but thank you so much for taking us uh, through so much of this. Arbor and Orgesa, we appreciate you coming on. And hopefully we can catch up soon. La imagen por la cual vale la pena arriesgar la vida, sacrificarse hasta la muerte en los campos de batalla de todos los continentes del mundo. Comité, comitato, comitiet, comiteto, carul, comité, we young we, submitted, we committed.